You're listening to the Riverwalk, the preaching ministry of Beth River Baptist Church in Winsboro, Louisiana. Today we're going to continue studying the book of Joshua and we're going to look at what they did at Joshua's altar. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 8 today. Joshua chapter 8. Uh, that picture on the screen, that is a picture of Joshua's altar that they discovered uh, some decades ago. Maybe I'll tell you more about that in a minute. That's a pretty amazing archaeological discovery. And I, I just thought y'all would want to see that as we read through this story this morning. We've been going through the book of, of Joshua. Hopefully, hopefully y'all have got a good picture of what's went on and who Joshua was and the kind of leader he was, the kind of people he was leading. Hopefully you've seen... Uh, what battles, what battles look like, going into battles with, with God on your side. Today we're going to read a little bit, a little bit about another battle, but mostly about what happens after the battle towards the end of Joshua chapter 8. Last week we read about the only defeat that Joshua and the Israelites encountered. They were defeated by the people of Ai. Ai is how you pronounce that or how it's spelled. They were defeated because of sin. They were defeated because God was not with them in that battle. And in chapter 8, it begins where they go in and they go to fight Ai this time. And this time they go with the Lord and they win this battle. And I'll read a little bit about that just so you can see the difference between the two. So it starts in Joshua chapter 8 verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise, go up to Ai. Look at this. See, Ai, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You've got this, Joshua. Before I wasn't with you, now I am, so don't be afraid. Verse 2. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Remember we read about that, but there's a difference here. God tells them something different. He says, only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves, lay an ambush for the city behind it. Remember in Jericho, he said, don't take anything. Everything in this city belongs to me. You bring it back to me. But in this case, I'm giving you the city. And in this case, you can take anything you want. This case, I'm giving it to you. I'm blessing you for blessing me. And then just read one more verse in verse 28 before we go on to the rest. You see, you can read all the accounts about the battle, but in verse 28, you see the result. It says, So Joshua burned I and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. They won the battle. The third battle we read about, this is the same people we read about last week. The same people that they were afraid of a week ago. Israel's now wiped them out. The same two people groups were fighting with very different outcomes. An important lesson to be learned when fighting battles is that you don't go into battle without God on your side. You lose battles because of sin. And here you see a great victory, and God even lets them keep the spoils. And I just want to tell you, church, that God blesses those who bless Him. And He blesses a people who seeks to accomplish His will. Like I said, third battle we read about, and it won't be the last if you read through the book of Joshua. But it's battle after battle after battle. And right off the bat, I want to tell you before we even get to the rest of the story, I hope that you understand that being a Christian, 
being a child of God does not mean that you're never going to face a battle. These people, they were following the word of the Lord. They were following Joshua, but they still had to go in. They still had to fight. They still faced battles. But here's the thing. If you're fighting with God, if you're fighting on the Lord's side, you're not going to lose. God's going to win. So if you're fighting with on God's side, I guess that's how I should say it, you're not going to lose. But being a child of God doesn't mean you're not going to fight battles. It just means you're not going to fight battles alone. And it means you're going to be on the victor's side. So many times we get confused about this in modern day times. Can I, can I just give you something that happens to all Christians? Like Christian marriages, can I tell with you they still have issues? Christian marriages still struggle? Christian families still struggle. Christian parents still struggle raising their children. Christians still struggle battles in their job, in their school. Christians, yes, even Christians still struggle with feelings of depression, anxiety, you name it. We still have the same struggles that everybody else in the world does too. But the difference is we don't fight this battle alone. We have somebody to go with us. But unfortunately... Unfortunately, sometimes Christians suffer defeat in some areas. Just like these people had suffered a defeat against I in chapter 7. And I'm convinced the longer I live, the longer I live, I'm convinced that when Christians suffer a defeat, I mean, don't get me wrong, Christians are going to have the ultimate victory. But when Christians suffer a defeat, in any area, it's usually because somewhere, in some way, along the way, God's been left out of the equation. Let me just tell you just some things I've seen with my own eyes. I've seen countless, countless Christian couples, good people, good people. They say they would do anything at all for their marriage. And I've seen them do it. They'll, they'll go... To marriage counseling, great thing, wonderful thing. They'll make time for date nights, a wonderful thing. But when it comes time to worship together as a family, they're nowhere to be found on Sunday morning. That's just asking too much. They leave God out of that area of their life. I've seen parents, no parents personally. They're literally willing to let their child spend a night in jail. I know parents that, that are willing to pull the belt off and spank that boy or girl till they are blue in the behind. And I'm not preaching against spanking. They're willing to do anything it takes except bringing them to Sunday school on Sunday morning or to bring them to River Kids on Wednesday night or take some time to read the Bible with them instead of watching Netflix or Disney Plus with them. That's asking too much. And then they wonder why they're so defeated. I've seen young men and young women alike, good American citizens willing to take up arms to fight and die for their country. But asking them to worship and to pray for their country. Well, that's just a step too much. I've seen church members who claim they're willing, ready, and will do anything at all for their church. Yet I probably could cancel Sunday school and Wednesday night prayer meeting, and some of you would not even notice. 
See, having God makes all the difference. If you want to go and you want to grow, we need to involve God on these things. And we all know we have to face these battles and God is the first person we go to and we really want God to show out and we want God to give Him His best for us and we want Him to fight for us. Yet what happens is we give Him our bare, 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 bare minimum. And church, every finger I point out today, I'm pointing for right back at myself. Because I think that's important to realize in this story is that God deserves more than the minimum. And I believe Joshua, as he was leading these people, I believe Joshua was growing and learning these truths along with the people. And I believe what he was learning was something that earns God's favor is giving God more than the bare minimum. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, in verse 7, Moses instructs the Israelites that whenever they go into the promised land, that they were to go to Mount Ebal and they were to make an altar. And they were to make an altar out of stones. And that is what you see on the screen. Now what you see on the screen, as I understand it, has been reconstructed a little bit. But an archaeologist was searching for artifacts, who was an atheist, by the way. And he came upon this site where he found all kinds of kosher animal bones and things dated to the Middle Bronze era, and he didn't know what it was. And while he was looking in his study, he had a drawing of what you see on the screen, and one of his Jewish housekeepers saw it and says, where did you find the altar? And then the atheist was confronted with the truth that what he had found was a great archaeological discovery of what we're about to read today. What Moses told Joshua to do, Joshua did. Joshua built this altar out of stones. And it was a place, you read in Deuteronomy 27.7, it was to be a place to come and to give offerings, to eat together, to rejoice together. And Joshua saw this as the time to make this altar. So let's read about this in Joshua 8. Verse 30, it says, Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has welded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger, as well as he who was born among them, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women, the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. 
It's a really beautiful picture whenever you picture this. They, they had suffered defeat. Now they're suffering a victory. And now they're keeping what Moses had told them to do. It took time to build an altar of this size. But here's what I want you to realize about this story. First off, remember from Jericho, like I said earlier, from Jericho, the people had to give. There was no choice. From Jericho, God said, you are going to give me this because it is mine. But here in this story, the people wanted to give. They were not commanded to give. Joshua was commanded to build the altar. That's true. But they were not commanded to give anything. This was not a feast. It was not a harvest day. It was not a Passover. It was not the day of atonement. It was not the day of Pentecost. It was just a time where the people got together and the people decided to give more than the bare minimum. The people said, what a great God we serve. What a wonderful God we serve. What a great leader we have. What a great land we have. And here, Lord, here is something for you. See, church, there is a difference between what is expected and what is requested. There's a difference between tithes and offerings. The Old Testament tithe is what was expected. But an offering, an offering is where we go and we give more than is expected and more than is requested. An offering is where we just give out of the generosity of our hearts because we love our God and we know what He has done for us. We know what He can do for us. And these people in this moment... They desired to show their appreciation for what God had done for them. And like I said before, it's such a beautiful picture. They knew what I know and what you should know too is that our God deserves more than the bare minimum. My question for you today is what are you giving the Lord God today? What are you giving the Lord God today? Can I ask you a question this morning? How does what you are giving God compare with what you are giving others? How does what you are giving God compare with what you are giving others? Think about this. Imagine at your workplace, you always avoid your boss. You go into work every single day and you make every effort you can, maybe to be a good employee, but you avoid the boss at all costs. You don't want to see him. You don't want to talk to him and you try to avoid him. That would not be a very good relationship. For those of you that are married, can I ask you this? Imagine if you are married and you only talk to your spouse once a week. Imagine if you only talk to your spouse 30 minutes a week. For those of you that are parents, imagine that you have kids that only talk to you when they want something. You desire a relationship with them and you want to know what's going on in their life. And sure, they will come and talk to you, but usually they'll just come and they'll say, Dad, can I use the truck? Or Mom, can I have $20 to go shopping with the friends? It's a bad relationship. I'm here for you younger people that still celebrate birthdays. Imagine when it comes time to celebrate your birthday. Everybody gets together. And you watch everybody else opening presents and you get totally left out. See, all those are examples that we see every day. But I want to tell you, that's what I see happening with the church and Jesus. Most of us, we talk and we sing to Jesus maybe one hour a week. Unless it's on his birthday, maybe. 
And then we'll talk about Jesus a lot, but we give presents and we give to everybody else except to him. And we sing and we talk about Jesus and then maybe every once in a while we'll get serious whenever we have a serious need. And then we want God to give us more than we've given him. And church, here's the thing. Jesus gave his life for you. Why do we think he doesn't deserve more than the minimum? I read this and I see the people going all out. The people giving peace offerings and they're giving offerings to the Lord. But Joshua modeled by doing more than the minimum too. I put this verse in your bulletin because I just imagine y'all think Brother Kevin gets long-winded sometimes. But think about what Joshua did here. In verse 34, he said, And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursing, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel. With the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them, he didn't leave a word out. Joshua said, I'm not leaving anything out in this moment. I want y'all to hear everything. Blessings and the cursings. I'm not leaving it all out. I'm giving more than the minimum. But more than that, not only did he not leave anything out of what he read, but I think it's important to know too, he read to everyone. You know, Joshua, he was, at this point, he was probably a pretty important person. Joshua could have read only to his family. Joshua could have read only to his tribe. He could have read only to the tribe leaders. He could have read only to the Israelites. But it says that even he made time to read to the strangers who were living among them. Joshua wanted to give more than was asked. He wanted to give his all. He wanted to give his everything. That should be what we want to do too. And I just picture these strangers... I read this and I wonder who the strangers were. But I know this. Imagine you were on the side of Mount Ebal and you saw these people coming from a great victory. And they take, they take all, the, all the spoils from Ai. And then they come to the side of the mountain and then they start building this altar rock by rock by rock. And then they start singing and they start eating. And then Joshua starts reading. And then they start taking what they had took. From I and burning it and sacrificing it. And I can only tell you this. The strangers that were watching this had to have said, wow, this is a people that love, love, love their God. And their God is a God that loves them. And I want to be with them. What are the strangers seeing in the midst of your life? What are they seeing? Are they seeing somebody who goes all out? Or are they seeing somebody who gives the bare, bare minimum? Growing and going. That don't happen with the people giving a bare, bare minimum. That happens with people giving their all. With people giving their everything. Not just the leaders, but everyone. The women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. I look at this and, and here's the question that, that I ask. Really, what would it take? What would it take to get the people willing to give more than their minimum? What would it take 
to get us to give all instead of a little. And when I read this, what I think had happened, I don't think it was anything Joshua said. I don't think it was anything that Moses said. What I think it was, I think they got to this point. They had seen Jericho. Well, let's go further than that. They, they had seen the Jordan dry up. They had seen the, the walls fall down at Jericho. They saw a victory. They saw the horrible sin of what had happened to Achan. And then they saw another, then they saw a defeat at Ai. And then they saw a victory here. And they just were overwhelmed with all these experiences. And they were just faced with the reality that, man, God had given them so much more than they deserved. Because of experience, they wanted to give back. This morning, I want to ask you to do an exercise with me. I want to ask you to do an exercise with me, and I want you to reflect a little bit on experience as well. Experience that I know that most of us all have had here today. So if you would this morning, just take a minute this morning and close your eyes just for a second. I'm not going to ask you to repeat a prayer. I just want to ask you just to take a minute. Close your eyes. Free your mind of any distractions, please. And let's reflect a minute on experiences. Take a minute this morning, and I want you to think about your family. Maybe your mother's still alive or father. Maybe they've passed. But take a minute. Think, think about the times that you cried on your mom's shoulder. Think about the times your mother fed you. Think about the times your mom prayed for you or grandmother or dad. And I want you to realize this, church. You could have had any mom or dad in the world, but God gave them to you. God did that. Think about your spouse if you have one, your husband or your wife. There's so many in the world that, that, that are single. They don't have a husband and a wife that desperately want one. And you have one. Think about your brothers or your sisters. For those of you that are parents here this morning, think of your beautiful children. The birth of your children. God could have given those children to anybody, but he gave them to you. Grandchildren. Think about how awesome it is. Today there are Christians being, made, being forced to worship underground. And think about how awesome it is to be in a nation where you're free to live as you choose. God could have placed you anywhere, but he puts you here in America. Think about tonight, you'll have a heated or a cooled air-conditioned house to go home to. You'll have a bed to sleep in. When you leave here, you'll drive a car home. And in just a little bit, you're going to have a dinner. You're going to eat more than some eat in a whole month. That's some of the blessings that you have that God has given you. But beside that, think about for a minute, think about the battles that you faced in the past. Think about the times that you've earnestly poured your heart out praying for healing, maybe for yourself or somebody else. God, I don't know what's wrong with my babies. Lord, touch them, heal them, please. And God answered that prayer. Think about that this morning. 
Or the times that you have prayed for comfort when you have been so stressed or so worried about somebody you love or about yourself and you prayed for comfort and God saw you through that situation. Maybe there was a time in your life where you were struggling financially and you didn't know how you were going to put food on the table, but God came through. He answered your prayer. He did that for you. Maybe you're a farmer and you can look back on seasons where you poured your heart out to God praying for the weather to cooperate. Lord, let the rain hold off or Lord, bring the rain, whatever the case may be. And God shine through for you. Or any and all the times that you've poured your heart out to God and God came through. And lastly, Maybe you've not experienced any of these things. Maybe you don't have a mom or a dad or a husband, a wife, a spouse or any of that. But lastly, I want you to picture this. I want you to picture Jesus Christ on an old rugged cross. And his last words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Listen, if all that God ever did was give his son on a cross for my sins... Well, that was everything. That was everything. You could open your eyes now. But sometimes it's just healthy to go back and look at your life and just say, Lord, look what you've brought me through. And then ask the question, no longer, God, what can you do for me? But now, God, what can I do for you? No longer, God, there will be times when you cry out to God and there will be times that God answers your prayer. But today, right now, today, I hope that our prayer would not be, God, what can you do for me? But God, what can I do for you? And church, I just want to share with you, every person here, you have so much to offer. And every person here has so much more to offer. What can you offer him today? I'm calling on all of us to offer more than the minimum. I'm calling on all of us to offer more than we've been offering. We can all give more than we've been giving. We should challenge ourselves to do more for the one who's done everything. I just want to tell you just a few things. Just a few things. Every church member... Every church member should be involved, should be involved. And that means being involved in small groups and Sunday school. Every church member should. I can't think of a reason. I cannot think of a valid reason why you should not be. Maybe you can't come every Sunday, but you should be involved. That's where we grow together. That's where we stand together. That's where we rejoice together. And that's exactly what the people of Israel did right here. Every one of us should do that. To me, that's a minimum. Every church member, on Wednesday nights, if you believe in the power of prayer, if you believe the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, well, doggone it, if you can be here, you should be here. That's a minimum. Every church member... Every church member, if you can agree with me that God's blessed your life... In the experiences we just talked about, every church member should give something financially. Something. And every church member should actively walk with Jesus 
every single day. That's a minimum. And maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're listening at home. And maybe the case is that you're here every time the door is open. Maybe you have a prayer life unlike nobody else's. Well, I just still want to ask you, what more can you give him? Because I'm all about the business of being my best, of giving more. I want to grow and I want to go. And I want the Lord to look down at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've given your all to me. There's nothing more you could have given. So listen, my question to you this morning is what more can you give? For most all of us, there is a ready and willing answer. We can answer like that. What more can you do for Jesus? And will you commit to give more for the one who gave you everything? Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the message. I hope you understood the message. I hope that you'll resolve to give God more than the bare minimum. Have a great week.